The scene was one of chaos. As Adeline felt the attention of the pack of wolves guarding her shift to the power emanating from the heron in the center of the stump. Waves of nauseating darkness pulsed from Millicent as she lifted her wings within the maelstrom of the green tin smoke that twirled about her form like licking flames. A chorus of cackles and howls filled the night air as Millicent's denizens circled and danced about the great stump in a devilish cacophony. All of this. Such a shame. Fortunately, none of you have the slightest idea what you were doing. No one paid Adeline any notice as her voice was drowned out by the growling and shrieks all around. One thing that she knew for certain was that the great stump held a final secret. As long as its roots held firm, this once magnificent tree was still alive. Moving slowly, Adeline made her way toward one of the roots. If I can make it there, perhaps, perhaps I can reach her. After what felt like hours, but was only a moment of painstaking movement between the howling bodies that surged all around her, Adeline's hoof made contact with the root, and then, mustering everything she had, the antelope connected to the small spark of life that remained within the tree. For a moment she groaned and sagged as the weight of pain and loss and sorrow hit her, staggering her with a thousand memories. But there within the swirl she found one thin filament of light, into which she poured a very specific memory. Adeline found herself standing at the edge of a large crystalline lake, its mirror-like surface reflecting a perfectly blue sky. She was taken by the beauty of the scene that spread before her, one of rolling hills and burdened forest. It was the world as it had once been, before everything had changed. Bringing me here is a mistake, sister. It will change nothing. The voice belonged to Millicent who stood beside Adeline along the lake's edge. The deed is done, sister. You chose your path, and I mine. The Millicent that stood beside her now was younger, her colorful plumage deeper, her eyes bright. This was the Millicent that she had grown up with and loved. They were inseparable from the moment they had met. Millicent's sharp wit and incisive vision was well balanced by Adeline's steady nature and love for study. They shared a rare grace and had formed a powerful pair that over time came to mold the various factions of creatures into the woodling society. I always hoped that things would have turned out differently, commented Adeline as she gazed over the memories landscape. Yet you knew better, didn't you? I could never convince you of what I saw but you were attracted to it. It's a shame that you could not shed the old ways and embrace the change that must come. Millicent's form walked forward to the water's edge, peering down at the reflection on the water's surface. But I was a dreamer then too. 
I thought you and I would lead side by side. The blight changed that. And the war. Adeline watched the heron slowly turn her head back toward her. You think? <laughs> Cackled the heron, ever to the point. Change is the same as evil in your mind, Adeline. The great fire saved the forest. The drought created new habitats that were better suited for some. The old ways were always meant to give way to the new. The heron seemed to shrug, shaking her head slowly. The old ways are not old. That is merely your term for them, Millicent. Adeline took a step toward the heron as she noticed a slight flickering around the form of the other. And yes, change is necessary. I understand that well enough. And I also understand the difference between change and evil. What you are doing now, this is not change, Millicent. This is chaos. It is the end of all of us. These powers that you hope to wield have their root in the blight. You must know this. You must feel this. You silly child. When will you understand that the source of power is always irrelevant? Whether you harness the sun or the stars or the bridge to the outworlds or the ancient powers, it makes no difference. Millicent punctuated this last phrase as her foot lifted a pebble and tossed it into the pristine water of the memory lake, at once sending ripples in ever-widening circles. The source makes all the difference, sister. All power seeks its own end. These ancient powers you grasp for now, they are birthed only from the depths of darkness and death. By using them to accomplish your goal, you provide them with a path they seek to achieve their own end. Adeline took another step furrowing her brow as the form of Millicent before her shimmered once again. It is not too late for us, Millicent. We can lay down our arms, lay down our claims. We can figure this out, together. You cannot delay me any longer, sister. I'm truly sorry. You know that I love you dearly, but my path is chosen, and I must do what must be done. In the end, you will see that I am right, and I will forgive you. A green-hued flame flickered at the feet of the heron, her dreamlike form slowly being consumed by a thickening darkness. But for now, Adeline, you must get out of my way. snapped back in an instant, and with it pain as Adeline staggered to her knees. Darkness nearly took her then, but she fought through it. If Millicent would not listen, perhaps she could reach the girl one last time. With a force of will, Adeline pushed herself back up and pressed her hoof once again to the root of the great stump. What do you want, Brian? Come to 
cheer me on? Jinx sat perplexed before the pile of papers that lay in front of him. Suggesting people to dismiss was not his issue. Presenting this as a viable plan that would not end in his own firing was the real puzzle to be solved. And having Brian enter the fray after that debacle of a meeting was the last thing the slender man needed right now. I don't have time to play at the moment. Why don't you come back later? Brian sat heavily on the only other chair in Jinx's small office, and it creaked as he did so, drawing another look from Jinx. I can't do it, Jinx. No matter what I think of you, you can't either. Jinx looked back up at him and smirked, before tilting his eyes back to the papers before him. It's simple, really. Kettle gave us the hint when he started with buildings 10 and 11. Their numbers are always the worst. You cut them and be done with it. Easy. Yet Jinx's stomach churned even as the words left his mouth. Brian's response was like reading his mind. It's nearly Christmas, Jinx. I mean, Jonathan. That's Gary and Norm you're talking about. They both have young families. They have no other source of income. This isn't business anymore. It's, it's just evil. At this last, Brian let out a sigh as he rubbed his temple with a worn hand. Evil? Is this some sort of silly story to you, Brian? Evil? Really? It's business. People win and lose every day, and that's just life. Is it, though? Look at us, capable grown men, incapable of even pushing back against a slimy businessman out of fear. You're afraid, Jonathan, and if you don't do the right thing, you'll be afraid all your life. Brian's voice was soft and earnest. Something about this situation must have him truly rattled. And so what? So I'm afraid. Why shouldn't I be? My family is all gone. My wife barely speaks to me anymore. I don't have time to make friends. All I have is this job. Jinx had no idea where this was coming from. But he was speaking freely now, letting years of pent-up rage out in a torrent. All this job brings me is misery and idiots like you! Brian winced at this last comment, but knew he was finally breaking through. He needed Jonathan on his side and had already embraced the inevitable fact of his own unemployment. Yes, but at least you have something. I don't have anyone, Jonathan. I don't even have a goldfish, but I will not. Brian paused to take a breath in hopes of pushing the emotions back. When he resumed, his voice was far more calm. I will not do this to good people days before Christmas. In fact, I won't do this to good people at all. Then you, Brian, are more a fool than I suspected. Jinx's voice was forced and lacked conviction. But at the moment, he just couldn't see any other way and he would not let his guard down any further. Then come be a fool with me. Brian rose from his chair now. He didn't want to undo the small progress he had made. If we all stand together, all of the buildings, we can win. I've already talked to the other maintenance chiefs. They're all on board. All we need is a leader, John. With this, he turned and headed to the door, pausing for a moment in the opening to add, that could be you.
Charlie. Charlie. The thin, precise voice jogged something in the back of Charlie's mind. She was finding it difficult to focus on where she was, on what she was doing. The memory of recent events seemed to evade her focus as she drifted within a dark fog of twirling tendrils and swirling halftones. All Charlie wanted to do was rest, to simply float away into this dark embrace. Here she had no cares, no needs, no wants. There was only a faint existence nestled within a soft, numb shell. But the voice was persistent. Charlie, it's time, Charlie. Time for you to hand the burden to me. Charlie did not remember hearing this voice before. It reminded her of one of her teachers at school scolding her after being caught daydreaming. Come now, Charlie. You only need to reach out to me. Can you do that? Again, the voice interrupted and cut through the numbing stupor, and this time it seemed as if something gave way above Charlie. For a moment, Charlie could hear roars and barks and the howling of wolves, but it was as if those sounds were from some far-off place. I... Who are you? Charlie asked at last. I'm so very tired. Do you mind if I just rest a moment longer? Charlie allowed herself to settle back into the caressing tendrils of darkness, and as she did, the opening above her began to close once more. No, Charlie, it is not all right. You are not finished here. Don't you see that your friends are in trouble? Wouldn't you like to help them? The voice was pinprick precise, a sharp and jabbing needle in her head that just would not go away. Go away! I want to rest. Charlie responded and then once again settled herself back into the twirling tendrils of darkness that snaked all about her. Well, this will not do, sniffed the voice. And this time the sky above Charlie parted abruptly as an even darker moat of smoke slammed into her and all around it was like a torrent of rushing fog, but dry with a force that curled her head down, crumpling her into a small ball of arms wrapped around legs. Charlie shuddered as the fog embraced her, filling her mind, her thoughts, as visions of her past seemed to float out and away from her, mingling with the darkness before dissipating as if they had never existed at all. Nani! Cassie! Familiar faces drifted off, and with them the memory seemed to fade as well. I know. What What is happening? What... What are you doing? I I want it to stop. Please make it stop. With each passing moment, Charlie felt more weary than the last. Only a moment more, child. And then, then I will be finished with you. And your purpose here will be complete.
Salazar fluttered in futile bursts, attempting to keep pace with Jeremy's soaring form. For all his clumsiness on the ground, the great bat was a marvel to behold in the air. Beating his enormous leathery wings, the scene below them was one of colossal destruction. A clear path had been torn through the forest canopy below in the shape of a three-toothed wedge. Details of what was within that wedge were unfortunately obscured by a seething cloud of darkness. Even at this great height, Salazar could feel the felling of each tree as the massive host rolled onward to the north. A sudden shadow overhead sent the small finch into an immediate dive, but it was too late as a powerful claw clapped itself around his entire body, leaving Salazar trapped below the powerful strokes of a much larger bird's wings. After a brief moment of struggle, Salazar relaxed his wings, consigned now to his imminent doom. Fear not, little one. I would not have caught you if I meant to harm you. You and your friend and I need to have a little chat as well. The voice from above was oddly familiar. So familiar, in fact, that Salazar froze in panic. It was the same voice that he had heard speaking from the shadows on the day that Charlie had been taken. You'll not get away with this! Salazar chirped, trying to make his voice sound as calm as possible given the circumstances. My friend will not take kindly to you treating me like this! Calm down, friend! Didn't you hear what I just said? I'm here to talk to you and the bat, who, by the way, is an outworlder, just like me. With a few more powerful strokes, the Kia advanced on the large bat, drawing nearly even with Jeremy's outstretched wings. Isn't that right, Jeremy? We go way back, don't we? This comment drew the bat's attention, his flight faltering momentarily in evident surprise at the familiar voice. But Jeremy's echolocation was apparently not finely tuned enough to recognize Salazar being held captive in Crafton's grip. Follow me below, old friend. I have information that you need to hear. You're too late to stop this army, but you're not too late to help your other friend. Crafton wheeled away from the bat, diving rapidly toward a small open field on the ground far below. The speed was such that poor Salazar nearly blacked out. But the flight was over in a rush as the Kia's powerful wings drew them up short to the ground into a graceful and expert landing, though the Kia still held tightly to his captive. Jeremy's descent took much longer as he glided in circles, drawing closer with each pass until he landed with a thump in the middle of the clearing. I see now that you have my friend. Jeremy clowered, having apparently noticed Salazar in the Kia's grip. I'll let your little friend go in just a moment, but first, you need to let me speak. The Kia balanced on one leg while lifting Salazar up. With all of his strength, Salazar bit down on the Kia's claw, causing a brief <sighs> yelp from the larger bird who released him immediately. Well now, aren't we a feisty one? You just stay back, you brute. We have an important task to perform, and you're just slowing us down. Salazar flitted his way over to the bat before alighting and beginning to inspect his wings with a probing beak. 
A deep growl cut through the chatter as the large shape of the great tiger pawed into the clearing. Your friends will be dead soon if you don't control yourselves and listen to our proposal. Marvelous's deep voice rumbled with each carefully placed step. The tiger's head was lowered and his haunches were poised for a leap. What do you mean about our friends? What are you talking about? Even as we waste time here, the wolf pack is on its way to where your friends are. They're after the girl. The response came again from the great tiger, who had not stopped moving toward Jeremy and Salazar. We offer our aid, dear friends. And quite frankly, you are in no position to deny our assistance. Crafton's eyes narrowed as he said this. We want no help from the two of you, chirped Salazar, but he was interrupted by Jeremy. What? What do you want? In exchange, Crafton. Jeremy's tone surprised Salazar, who had only ever heard the bat's jovial demeanor. Clearly, he knew these two. Ah, uh, practical as always, Jeremy. Our deal is simple. We help you save your friends, and you help us stop that scraggly old bird. Isn't that what you intend to do anyway? Crafton smiled back at the pair of them. We don't have all night. If we were to make it back in time, you must make your choice. Great White Tiger had paused now, head still lowered, watching the small bird and the bat with narrowed eyes. Salazar, my friend, you, you may not trust them, but I don't think we have a choice. We need their help. Jeremy had turned to look toward the finch, his voice sullen and heavy. I have a very bad feeling about this, but very well. What is your plan? The tiger visibly relaxed at Salazar's words, and the four converged for a brief discussion before departing back together, back toward the place of stones. The wind whipped across the field, whistling past the large white monuments that stood tall amidst the rows upon rows of smaller headstones and markers, remnants of wreaths, along with a few weather-beaten mementos, resting at the base of a gravestone here and there, marked a loved one's visit with a memory. Joan shivered as she pulled her winter coat more closely around herself. But without trees or buildings, the cold, bitter wind merely cut through the wool fiber, 
as though she wore nothing at all. She was numb from head to toe, but felt none of it. For some time, she had merely wandered about the cemetery, knowing that her feet would take her to the familiar place she had once visited with far greater regularity. Samantha Cole. Joan breathed, her breath emitting a puff of steam into the air before being swept away by the chill night breeze. Her sister had bucked the family tradition by taking her husband's name when they wed. Easier to spell and give you a better spot of every list. Joan smiled at her sister's explanation. In truth, she hardly blamed Janet as Cole was a good name and her husband, Charlie, a better man. But she wasn't here to reminisce today. Today, she needed advice. Janet, I've, I've lost Charlie. <laughs> I don't know where she is. I can't believe she would just run away like this, but I don't know where else to turn. Now that the first words were out, she felt emboldened to continue. I think she must have run away hiding somewhere but it's been more than a day and she hasn't returned Joan's voice dropped at the end of the sentence the familiar mixture of grief and anger welling up from deep within I had to let Cassie go to school I know it's what you would have done and it was the right thing I just I just wasn't prepared for any of this Joan pulled her gloved hands from the shallow pockets of her coat She held a small glass figurine in her hand, and it glistened in the cool winter light. You gave this to me the last time we were together. Do you remember? Joan sighed, knowing full well that she was just talking into empty air. Yet she bent to place the small figure on the rounded top of the headstone. The headstone was a simple piece of marble, the type of thing the cemetery provided to those that could afford nothing else. Joan shivered once again. She idly kicked at a tuft of frozen turf with a toe of her boot. Where did you go, Janet? The words were out of her mouth before she could think. With a furtive glance, she looked around the empty graveyard as if worried that someone might hear. Seeing no one, she knelt down toward the small, rounded headstone. Kept my promise, Janet. The girls don't know. No one knows. But, Janet, if you're out there somewhere, you have got to help me. Joan reached out a hand to dust a smattering of flakes that had just landed on top of the gravestone. I know what the coroner said. He said you were brown. They said your body was washed away, Janet. Janet, I can feel you, Janet. Her voice had risen now, even as tears froze at the corners of her eyes. She made a fist with her hand and pounded the top of the headstone as a sob broke the silence. (laughs) Janet, Charlie is gone. I can't lose her too. I can't lose her like I lost you. (laughs) Joan was now gripping the top of the headstone with both hands. Her head bowed between her arms as she breathed deeply to catch her breath. Why did you leave me? Why did you run out into the night like this? It was just a stupid argument. I should never have spoken about Charles like that, but you know me. You know I didn't mean it. In silence, 
tears dripped to the snowy ground, melting the snow as they landed and then freezing as they were caressed by the ceaseless wind. Dropping her hands to her knees, Joan pushed herself up, brushing snow from her knees while turning silently away. As the wind continued to blow, the small figurine was slowly buffeted toward the edge of the headstone. One last swirling breath sent it tumbling to the ground at the base of the headstone, where it clicked as it bounced off of the frozen turf to land within the small circle shaped by Joan's tears. As the chill winter light glinted from its crystalline surface, snowflakes began to cover the tiny glass figurine of a star and a moon. Part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar the Yellow Finch is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from the Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline the Antelope is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous the White Tiger is voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent, the Great Blue Heron, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the Maintenance Chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the Building Manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the Landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast. Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Yates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the child services worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmeyer, the caregiver, is voiced by Bobanit from the Drive With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy Go Lucky podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y.
From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky Podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season.